Hello. You are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This summer, we are back in the book of Psalms. John Calvin rather famously wrote that the Psalms are an anatomy of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. The Psalms sing high joys for salvation and the beauty of this world, and yet meet us in the low places as we cry out for justice and weep over the sorrowful state of this world. All of life, absolutely all of it, is invited to be laid before our Lord in the Psalms, these prayers and songs to God. So we'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon, and God bless. Let's, uh, let's pray again. Lord, we love you, and we're very grateful that you've given us your word. We thank you for Holy Scripture from these beautiful passages from Psalm 62 and, and from Isaiah and Colossians and Matthew. And we thank you for this reminder from our Lord Jesus himself that you, our Heavenly Father, love us perfectly and provide for us completely. Now, Lord, now as we turn to this psalm, um, make us receptive. Now, open our hearts and our ears and uh, would we hear from you? Un- unstop us, Lord. Hear and answer. We pray in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. Uh, we are in Psalm 62. We're back in the Psalms after a, a short hiatus. I will say it was nice to not preach for a few weeks. I love preaching and I love being with all of you and it was nice to have a little break. Um, but we're back in, Psalm, in the Psalms and we're picking up in Psalm 62. And I want to do something this morning. Um, that may seem a little different. I, I want to begin our time, our sermon time, with silence. And uh, I want us to sit in silence for about two minutes. Parents, it's okay. <laughs> All right, I can, I can see the, the smiles already. Let's just give it a go, okay?
The book of Revelation in chapter eight uh, describes when the seventh seal was opened that there was complete silence in heaven and if you know, chapter seven had built up that all, these, all, all this loud uh, singing of praise to the Lord, all the hosts of heaven and these representatives of the nations and then there, there was silence for a half an hour in heaven when the seventh seal was opened. You've just tasted what two minutes sound, uh, sounds like in your own head. And I wanna ask you how it went, but I think I probably know how it went. Let me describe it like this. Two nights ago, we camped out with the Tannis family at Raystown Lake. Uh, it was a wonderful time, we played a lot, we swam. Um, that evening, we played Rum Cube under lamps on this like well-worn, well-loved campsite table. Uh, I mean, it was a really, really delightful day. Um, our kids that night decided that they wanted to try their hand at sleeping in hammocks, which sounds kind of fun, right? Sounds sort of fun. Um, but we, you know, we had a very full day, but we also stayed up kind of late. We're playing games and just enjoying being with one another. And so we finally tucked them in sort of to their hammocks. And then this is like 10 o'clock-ish, and Melissa and I start to make our way to our tent and kind of get settled. And quickly, Henry climbs in with us sort of right between us. And you kind of know how this goes. And then almost immediately, it seems, or maybe it was sort of uh, co- you know, at the same time, um, these neighbors to our south that had just pulled in late and got their tent settled decided to start swimming, so we're hearing some of their splashing. And then every night it seemed, but maybe this night it seemed more pronounced, um, neighbors a few sites to the north of us had a generator humming. And then um, Melissa and I are laying our heads down with Henry sort of beside us. And then I'm telling you, like, I'm hearing this. And I think I'm putting this together like, oh, the people that just got the spot immediately to the north of us are cutting wood for their fire because they think that that's what they're supposed to do at this hour. Um, and we're just sitting there, we're like, you know, trying to fall asleep, little one b- beside us. Every kind of bug I imagine possible is like chirping and talking to each other and the generator's humming and, you know, the, the person's cutting their firewood and splish splashing is taking place. It's like, what's going on? And as I'm laying there, I'm remembering Jim Gaffigan's just brilliant stand-up piece about happy camper. Y'all know this? Um, He says, has anybody really been a happy camper? Because when you use that phrase, you are always being sarcastic. Ah, he's a real happy camper. (laughs) Why don't we just call them camper? (laughs) Um, (laughs) He says, hey, wanna burn a couple vacation days sleeping on the ground outside? (sighs) Okay. So t- amazingly, actually, Melissa and I, to the lull of the generator and all the bugs and the chop-chopping and the splish-splashing, we actually fall asleep. I think she was aided by earplugs. Um, until we didn't fall asleep because we woke up <laughs> to rain. And the immediately, immediate thought of, oh, two of my children are in a hammock <laughs> in the rain. <laughs> I should get up, but I don't really want to. <laughs> So finally, I pull myself out from this tent, and I find that, praise the Lord, Dave was already saving James, and I went to Lily's rescue, but somehow forgot to get one of the stuffed animals. And so Lily comes, and she's like, you know, Henry by that time had kind of slid to our legs, 
So Lily was up, like we're laying down, Lily's up here, Jan Henry's down here, and it's raining, it's raining, it's raining. It's 2.20 is when I looked at the clock for the first time. And um, soon after, Dave had gotten James settled in the tent, but the tent, you know, of course he's by himself, and who likes to be by yourself when it's raining and like lightning outside? He, he doesn't like that, so he comes. And somehow he finds like the only place that I could maybe still move, which was to my left, because I was, uh, um, he was between the tent and, and me, and there we all, all, all we just lay there. And the last time I saw it was about uh, four o'clock. <laughs> And again, Jaff Jim Gaffigan is in my ear <laughs> saying this. If it's so great outside, why are all the bugs trying to get into my house? <laughs> um, is that how your silence went? We're in the church. We've come to meet with God. We've come to be present to one another, right? to dwell in the divine and to have God make good on his promise that he is with us. Um, but we know that our minds are jittery, right? Our thoughts bounce around, our hearts are really restless and our desires, they jump. And our bodies are almost in just a constant flux because of all this going on. They're kind of like me trying to get settled in the tent, which is just a constant movement of like, what can I do to make myself comfy and not wake up a child? Um, if we're able to be silent, if we're able to be silent, what we're actually deeply desirous, which is peace, seems even harder to get to. In fact, sometimes our silence actually reveals just how restless and how lack of, uh, how full, uh, or how much we lack peace in our lives. One of the reasons actually why silence is so hard be is because peace is so distant. Peace, of course, this great word shalom in the Hebrew, which you could say simply means the rightness of all things. All things being as they should be. Um, Cornelius Plantiga, in this great book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, some of you might know that, uh, has this quote that I put in your bulletin. He says this, peace is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation, injustice, fulfillment, and delight. That's what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, delight. Shalom is the way things ought to be. So David in this psalm, he knows how hard this silence is, this silence that actually is a restful silence, a stillness that exists in this idea that God is actually given us peace. He knows how hard it is because peace often seems so distant and so far off. So verse one, he says he's waiting for the Lord in silence. But I wonder if you notice this very quickly, actually, all the way, I mean, almost immediately, verse three, he begins to recount the things that break peace, which is to also to say just the things that bring stress. Okay, verse three. Stress in the midst of silence. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Salah. 
uh, salah, most people think maybe means pause or rest, or some actually scholars think that it meant musical interlude, like some dude like riffing on the guitar. But you know, taking a rest, take a moment. Now, when we take a moment, we start to think about this, we're like, okay, David had all kinds of stories. We've recounted many of them, actually, in our time together in the 50s, particularly the Psalms. We have all kinds of stories of, of David in these kinds of situations that he's re- recounting here. We don't know which what he was exactly dealing with, but we do know that there were plenty of times where he was attacked. And plenty of times where people spoke falsely about him, or they said one thing and they, they did another, or they certainly meant another, and they meant to trap him. Um, we know there were times when people lived life as a lie before him. Uh, we know there were times where people flattered him to get what they wanted. Um, what you quickly get in this psalm is, well, what, you, what you're invited to right, right away is silence before God, waiting before God. And what David quickly does is he goes, this isn't easy, is it? Silence almost reveals all of the stress. So Monday night, um, Monday night I was awake from 12.30 to 3.30, which I actually don't remember, honestly, the last time I was awake in the middle of the night for three hours, just awake. Um, My brain's racing, and to be honest, most of what I was thinking about was the church, Uh, you all in this space, and uh, I was thinking a lot about our building. You know, one of our AC units went out. I spent about an hour on the phone with insurance people about the mold that we need to still fix and not sure if we're gonna have that claim honored. Um, the elevator doesn't work. Let's, let's just stop there because we know we can keep going. <laughs> let's stop there. Um, I was thinking though, but also of like visitors who come and they like, you know, they worship with us and we don't see them again. I don't know where they end up, whatever. Uh, I was thinking of friends who used to be really a part of our fellowship and who we used to love, and they're not around anymore. Um, and here's the thing is I felt like I just couldn't turn it off. You know, I'm, si- I'm laying there in the, in the stillness and silence of our bed, but in that stillness and that silence, it just goes. And I know, I know you, you all are not much different. That's not something that's unique to Peter or, you know, David's writing this. He's like, nobody's going to understand what I'm saying here. (laughs) Um, Maybe your mind really is racing and your heart really is restless because because somebody actually wants to attack you. You read David and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. That's probably not what it is, though. Um, It's probably more like this. You wonder, are are, are, are your children going to grow up to be responsible uh, people who love the Lord who delight in him, who offer to the world something good and beautiful and true. Uh, Maybe you wonder if you're able to pay your rent check or if you're gonna get that eviction notice that you're fearful of. Maybe your mind is racing with questions of forgiveness. Am I ever gonna be able to forgive that person who lives in the same house with me? Is that relationship ever gonna be restored? Will that person ever forgive me? Can we ever have peace like my heart longs for? Um, Maybe your heart is just restless because of overwhelming sorrow. 
maybe none of you know this, um, but Ed and Anna Camp will have, would have celebrated in a week and a half their 65th anniversary. 65th anniversary. It's a beautiful, long, loving marriage. Uh, what a gift. And as you can imagine, what a loss for our dear brother. Uh, Don Kohler has been in the hospital for nine days now. Some of you know that. He went in for difficulty of breathing, but they found some blood clots, and they've actually had to do surgery just a few days ago. And so far, he hasn't spoken since that surgery. The doctors think he's going to be okay, but of course, there's huge worry and understandable concern. Um, maybe you wonder with me how we as a church community can best train up our children that they would love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, body, strength. And how can we do that in the context of a church with little resources, fewer people? How do we care for the teens of this church? Who will serve them? Maybe you wonder, how are you going to pay for school? Why do migraines hurt so much? Can we get an ESL program started to love our neighbors? Why do thieves break in and steal and moth destroy? Why do buildings and bodies age and decay? And why is it all so expensive? Here's what I'm saying. Once you begin to sit with stillness for a little while, there can be a, just a massive cacophony, constant sound of our concerns, sort of a whirlwind of our worries, and it can all be totally overwhelming. Uh, and, and you know, um, you know that your, your prayers are a lot like David's right here. Um, it moves from a sort of a confidence to a, oh my goodness, what's going on? And thankfully, sometimes the Lord calls us back, right? And that's what he actually does for a little while in verses five through eight, calls back, and David reminds us that God is our rock and our refuge. But then we also have David turn again. He turns to, in verses nine and 10, and he was speaking in those first verses, right, three and four, a little bit about the stress that happens in silence, but then he actually speaks in nine and 10 to the shadows that we look to for our salvation in the midst of the stress. Um, and he actually lists this, this is like, this is just, it completely comports with what we know to be true. The first thing that we look to oftentimes to ease this dynamic are people. Verse nine, it says this. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are delusion. In the balance, they go up. They're all, they are together lighter than a breath. Now, I pretty much never say this because normally I think the English Standard Version is a phenomenal translation, but this is a really weird translation. Um, this is maybe how it should sound, but it sounds clunky. Verse nine, the first line. Man, generally, is a breath. Meaning like general man, it, it uses the word Adam, right? Like Adam, it's the word for man, like people. But then it actually says specifically, but then the next verse says man specifically, use the word ish, is a lie. Meaning this, okay, here's what's going on. David is saying that our temptation for our salvation to give us peace, to ease the dynamics of stress and all in life is to think that we can find that kind of salvation in other people. 
Um, and maybe what we think we just generally need are just a bunch of just general people. David's like in the cave, he's like, I just need an army right now. I need a whole bunch of people. Um, maybe what we need is just a bigger congregation. So that's part of what he's saying first. But then maybe he's, he, he actually, the second line says about more specific people. That word ish is a more specific person. Um, maybe he's thinking, uh, what he's suggesting is, maybe you're thinking, oh, if, if I just have that person, then I'll be okay, right? Um, maybe your shadow of salvation is thinking that if I had my neighbor as my spouse instead of my spouse as my spouse, all this stress would be gone. If I just have that person, it'll be okay. If I get that one. But he says this is like the wind. It's like breath. It's actually as light as a feather. He says if you put people on the scale, they just fly right up. Which is actually kind of a funny image because he doesn't say compared to what. He just says kind of anything. It's like a breath, you know. Put a guitar pick on this scale compared to it and it's like whoop. You know, no problem. He says it's like wind, it's like breath. There's nothing to it. It's a lie and don't buy it. He's saying these are the places where you're tempted to go, this kind of salvation is gonna ease all this stress and bring me peace. He says don't buy it. But if the first shadow of salvation is people, the second shadow of salvation is possessions. It's almost like he was writing in the year 2023. Listen to verse 10. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches, which doesn't just mean money, it actually just means what you have, increase, set not your heart on them. Doesn't this hit? How many times in the news this week did I hear about the mega millions? And how many of the preoccupations of our minds that rob us of stillness and silence and peace with God have to do with what we do or do not have? James 4, verse 1 and 2, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. How much of the restlessness of our sleep do we believe will be cured? Only we had certain things. A different house, a different job, a bigger retirement account, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. Don't believe the lie. These are shadows. They're just a breath. It's the same word actually the book of Ecclesiastes uses for vanity. It's vain that we're running after this stuff. It will not bring you peace. They are not the substance, they are shadows. They will not bring you salvation. They will not give you shalom. They won't. Now believe me, would I like our church to grow? The answer is yes. You can say yes. Yes, I would. Would I like to get, for us to get the grants that we are applying to for so that some of our you know, building needs can be addressed? 
Yes, I would. Please pray with me. Um, but here's the thing, actually, and you know this to be true. If you have all the people and if you have all the money, but you do not have God, what increases? Envy and strife, haughtiness, bickering, division. Peace does not increase. Shalom is not the order of the day. If we have all those things and we do not have God, I guarantee that what we actually long for most will be farther from us. Our coveting minds will only grow more covetous. Our restless hearts will only grow more restless. Uh, I love this psalm. I really do. And I, I love it because it reflects uh, our hearts so much. It just feels like a snippet of probably a lot of our two minutes of silence. Wait in silence for God. He alone is your salvation. What? Let me tell you all the reasons I cannot do that right now. No, no, no. Wait in God. He's your rock. He's your refuge. He's your fortress. Well, let me tell you about the other rocks and the other refuges and the other fortresses that seem like they got something going. No. Stick with it. Wait for the Lord. He alone is the God of steadfast love. It's almost like David is saying what he actually says at the end. He says, once God has spoken, twice I've heard this. <laughs> He's like, wait, I actually said this at the beginning and then I said it also in the middle. Let me say it again at the end because I need to hear it again and again and again. Peace is only found in the Lord. Peace is only found in the Lord. He alone is your rock and your refuge. Wait for him. St. Augustine says, your heart will be restless until it finds its rest in him. Now in my studies this week, I was struck by how, I was looking at this, just the word peace in scripture, and I was struck by how often peace is referred to in the Gospels. I wanna walk through just a few of these as a way of sort of closing this sermon. John the Baptist in Luke 1 was to guide our feet into the way of peace, into the way of Jesus. He was to prepare the way of the Lord. He was to guide them into the way of peace. In Luke chapter two, the angels, the hosts of heaven, they're singing glory to God and on earth peace. To the shepherds that were going to go see the Christ child. Later on in that same chapter, Jesus is presented at the temple and you may remember that Simeon there, he says he's able to depart in peace because he'd met Jesus. Uh, if you keep going in the Gospel of Luke, what you find uh, in chapter eight is that Jesus is touched. He's in this big crowd and, and this woman reaches out and he, she touches the hem of his garment and she, and she has a discharge of blood for 12 years, we read 
And uh, Jesus calls her out, which would have been, of course, it would have felt initially like she was maybe being shamed. She did it discreetly because having a discharge of blood, she shouldn't have been around other people. She would have been socially estranged and spiritually distant. She wouldn't have been able to allowed to come to the temple. And, and Jesus calls her to himself and, and the, the little um, section is closed by the Lord saying, daughter, your faith has made you well. Depart in peace. And what we also read, another beautiful story where Jesus is dining at, with the, at a Pharisee's house, which just keep that in mind, like don't knock Pharisees all the time, Jesus ate with them too. But in this account, this woman comes in and, and what you read is that she was a woman of the city and a known sinner. Probably meant she was a prostitute. And she comes in, she has this alabaster flask full of ointment and she pours it over Jesus' feet and she uses her hair to wash his feet. And the people get all in a tizzy about it. But Jesus declares that her sins are forgiven. And what he tells her specifically is, go in peace. John chapter 14, you probably know this, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And and there he's talking about how he's going to go and he's going to leave the spirit to be with them. But he tells them this, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you not as the world gives it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And if you read the accounts of of Jesus' post-resurrection, when he goes and he meets with his disciples, they're all in this room locked. Why are they in a room locked? Because they don't have peace. They're freaking out. Their Lord had died. And he shows up, and and it says he didn't go through the door, which is scary. Never seen that happen. And what does he say to them? He says, peace be with you. And the second thing he says to them is also this, peace be with you. Why is he telling them this? I think he's telling them this for the same reason that John the Baptist prepared the way for us or that the angels and the hosts of heaven sang the glory of God and declared the peace on the earth. Or the same reason that Simeon could actually depart or that the women were healed of her discharge of blood or restored socially and given dignity again. And why is it? The line that runs through all the gospels when it has to do with peace is this. God is with them. He's showing up. He's calling them to himself. He's saying, even when it seems like I'm a long ways off, I'm with you always even to the ends of the age. My peace I give you. You have the peace of Christ that passes all understanding. I know, believe me, I completely know that it can be utterly overwhelming to think of all that is disturbing peace. But our Lord says it's for you because he's for you. It can be with you because he's with you. Nobody is quite sure why in Revelation chapter eight, there's silence in heaven for a half an hour. Why that detail? Why that amount of time? We don't really know. There is the thought that this happens at the seventh seal almost as a way of hearkening back to creation. 
creation beginning in the emptiness and the void and the stillness. A new creation happening because what have, what is what God has done in Christ. And I want you to think about that. In the middle of all of the craziness of life, that the God who is with you is the one who can speak and the world comes into being. The one who can go to a cross and die and rise again to new life. Brothers and sisters, or maybe you who are considering Christian faith, if God is for you, who can be against you? Lord in heaven, we thank you for the beauty of Psalm 62. We thank you that so often the Psalms They're not distant from our experience, but they speak right to the dynamics that we live in now. God, I pray that we would be people that learn to be still and silent. That our hearts would find rest. Knowing that the God who loves us is the God who creates and who covenants, who keeps steadfast love who comes among us in the person of Christ, who dies that we might live, who rules over all, who holds us in his precious arms, the father who attends to the needs of the sparrow and the grass is the one who loves us, his beloved children. We bless you for this, Lord. We praise you. We are in awe. God, I pray that in the mess that is our lives, we would have peace in this. That if you're for us, nothing can be against us. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.